My guest on this week's show is Steve Crawford. Steve's a fellow financial planner, but he doesn't fit the usual mould. The label disruptor is bandied about far too much for my liking, but in Steve's case, it is appropriate. Steve rebels against the entrenched culture in financial services. He believes that financial advice should be about coaching clients to make better decisions, as opposed to buying investment products. He is so passionate that he's created a new group called the Advice Movement, where he shares and educates other financial planners. But the underlying message of our discussion is relevant to everyone who is navigating change in their personal and business life, and it'll make you think about whether you want to be a bystander or an agent for change like Steve. Enjoy the show. G'day folks, we're coming live from the JS studio, but you may actually be listening on the podcast. Wherever you are, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ruben Zelwa. Uh, I'm the host of this uh, fantastic show. Oh, there's a bit of music in the background there. Get rid of that. Uh, I've been doing it for a while. Have a search on iTunes. Uh, leave me a rate and review. I would appreciate it. Uh, we'll reach a few more people. But thank you for all those people out there who have given me some good feedback on the show. Uh, it's great to hear that you are enjoying it. And uh, it gives me the uh, the push to keep going. Sometimes can be a bit tough, these uh, radio things. So thank you very much. I've got a good guest on today. It's a colleague of mine. His name's Steve Crawford uh, from Experience Wealth. He's a financial planner. But more importantly, today we're going to talk about uh, a movement which he has actually established, which is going to be great. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. But just before that, we have Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant of the week this week is about Julia Banks, uh, who is defecting from the Liberal Party uh, and basically plunging the Scott Morrison government into even more difficulty. Losing another uh, one of their ranks is very difficult. And what she's doing is she's moving over to the crossbench. So she's going to be an independent, and we're not sure if she's going to run in the next election as an independent or Liberal. Now, my rant is really about her changing now midstream from the Liberal Party to being an independent. I don't think that's right. When someone gets elected to Parliament, it's not just on their own strength, right? It's not just on Julia Banks, but it's because she was part of the Liberal Party, and that's what she actually represents. So when you take that away and she decides to move on, I don't see why she should just be able to continue her seat in Parliament. I actually think that what that should do is spark another by-election. Not that we want a by-election, they're a real mess, but I think there should be a disincentive for people just to abandon their party midstream. Okay, well, that is my rant, and we're just going to take a very quick break, and we'll get Steve Crawford on the line. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. We have Steve Crawford on the line, at least I hope we do. Steve, are you there? I am, mate. How are you? Good, good. I'm always surprised when uh, this actually works, when I call people up. I'm always expecting to like you know do it, and there's going to be a dead end at the end. But I'm glad that you're there. Well, hopefully it stays uh, it stays connected. I mean, we are currently calling you from um, Berwick, so oh, you know, the, the cell coverage should still work. Okay, you must be with uh, Telstra, I guess, if it's going to be working. Right <laughs> yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Steve, uh, for those listeners who aren't aware of you, and I think there probably will be a few that aren't, Steve. 
um, is the is a financial planner, an owner of experienced wealth, is a colleague of mine. But more importantly, and the main thing we're going to be speaking about today is Steve's role as a founder of the Advice Movement, which is basically a group uh, of financial advisors that he's putting together that are looking at doing things in a new and different way. And Steve, as I said to you before, I don't want us to get too caught into the financial planning lingo world, although I'm sure we'll get drawn into it a bit. But I really want to use uh, use you know your situation and what you've what you're doing and what you've achieved uh, as just a basis for people to consider you know what they can do in their own businesses or professions. So, uh, just to start with that, Steve, can you just give us a little bit of background about you and uh, and then importantly what uh, what's driven you to to start this movement and 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 actually what it is. Uh, absolutely, and thanks for having me on the show, mate. Uh, uh, it's the quid pro quo after you were <laughs> kind enough to be on my show as well. Uh, yeah, was, um, yeah. So background is uh, I'm 40 years old, married, three kids, uh, live in the beautiful suburb of uh, East Bentley or Bentley East, depending on which way you want to put it on the postcode register. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, Melissa, um, we've been married for six or six, six, six. I've always got to do this, uh, 12 years. Make yeah. sure I get that right. <laughs> That'd be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and we've got three boys. Um, and uh, from a, a finance point of view, uh, I've had our financial planning practice experience well for uh, coming up for 10 years, actually. We hit the 10-year anniversary yeah. uh, in December. It's crazy how time uh, flies. I know. Uh, and r- about 10 years before that was spent on the other side of finance working in uh, in big corporates. Um, and uh, our business is all about uh, helping Gen X and Gen Y Aussies make smarter, more confident decisions around their money. And I think the catalyst for why I created Experience Wealth probably is uh, representative of why I've also created the advice movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go back to, well, 2004 when uh, Aiden, my eldest, was born. Um, before that, my wife and I were both working in financial services mm-hmm. but had no idea how to, you know, do anything when it came to um, having a child, let alone making financial decisions at the same time. And so I went to uh, people that I was told were the best of the best uh, when it comes to helping, you know, 30-somethings make, well, at our age at that stage, it was only 20-somethings, yeah. um, make decisions around money. And and everybody we went and spoke to, they basically said, look, we can help you as long as there's a financial product that's driving mm. the decision-making process. Yeah, a super fund or an insurance policy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I mean, this was 2004. Yeah. Um, and even then, I thought, I thought the whole industry was meant to be set up to serve its customers and its clients and the community, not mm. the product manufacturers. Yeah. But the reality was it was it was actually set up to be the exact opposite. Mm. That's you know the the customers, consumers, uh, average people out in the street were really uh, the only way they were going to get help was if mm. it if the end benefactor being or the end beneficiary being the uh, product manufacturer. Uh, if they got something out of it, and, and so it that, is, yeah, and it is problematic. I mean, you sort of even when you're talking about it, to think 
you know, that people come in, you know, the advice in that, in, at that time, you know, it's marketed as advice and really being, you know, the, the person your client is all you're thinking of, that's how you market it. But then when it comes down to the reality of it, certainly in those days, it was all about selling an investment product. So it was really quite disingenuous. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and so I think that was the first, I mean, I think I've always been a little bit of a troublemaker and a contrarian by nature. Um, mm. And that was probably the first professional opportunity for me to uh, take action to say, well, I'm going to do something a little bit different. So that was sort of the, the, the inception of what ultimately became Experience Wealth, which was uh, the the birth of a financial planning practice that was going to help people south of 50 make decisions around their money. And this was mm. 2008, uh, where you know 95% of the industry still focused on people that already had money, yeah. which clearly was driven you know, by the, um, the fact that people that had money, it was very easy to convince them that products was the right way to do things. Yeah. And I remember at the time when I told the people that... Um, in the industry that I was working with, that this was the type of business I was going to create, one where it was focused on Gen Xs and Gen Ys, mm. uh, not linked to um, a product. Uh, they all said, mate, what are you doing? Like, the gravy train is right here. Mm. All you've got to do is get on board. Yeah. Uh, and I do, I remember it's probably not, not so much, uh, not so animated as what I seem to cop a little bit now, but there were definitely a few people that were saying, why are you doing this? Like, why are you mm. trying to upset the apple cart? Um, and it was really, it came back to, well, one, it's not the right thing to do, what the way we're doing it. And two, from a business point of view, I then sort of thought, well, no one else is doing it. Yeah. And it is the right thing to do. Uh, and there's other people out there like myself and Melissa, and clearly there's millions of us out in Australia. Um then maybe it ends up being, you know, a smart commercial decision as well. Yeah, so your, I mean, your practice really revolves a lot around helping people manage their cash flow, achieving sort of their certain goals and objectives, as opposed to, you know, the pure, as they come in and, you know, invest in this super fund, buy this insurance policy. You've got a whole sort of system and process set up around around that cash flow. That's really, uh, I've heard you referred to as the... As the uh, as the father of cash flow management, or was it the grandfather or something like that? Well, mate, I'm quite <laughs> happy to keep with father. <laughs> when I looked in the mirror this morning, there's more and more grey hairs getting added to my, my ginger beard. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, maybe grandfather is getting, unfortunately, a little bit more apt. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, yeah, that's really part, that's how you run your business in terms of a client comes in to see you and it's really all about how do they manage their actual money as opposed to how do they manage their investments? Yeah, really. I mean, the investment thing we get, it still makes me laugh. Like, I I remember back at the start, we used to get business development managers from the investment companies and super companies wanting to you know, have a chat. And the first question they'd asked was, how much you know funds under management? How much investments do you yeah. manage? And our answer would be, well, we have no idea because we just don't focus on that. Yeah. Because it's... I mean, if you're in your 20s and 30s, the answer is not a hell of not a lot much. to start with. But yeah. when, you know, you're not really interested in that. So for us, it was never never part of the focus. The focus was always um, teach our clients how to be able to basically deal with all the financial stuff that's going on so that um, 
actually don't, ironically, so that they don't need the help of a financial advisor to make decisions. Mm. Um, that they then start to recognise that uh, with the help of a financial advisor, they'll make better decisions, but at least if they can do it on their own, then that for me was a part of that sort of, um, obviously not going to do it on scale, but yeah. starting to rectify the problem being that the industry is really set up uh, to try and keep everybody confused um, because then, you know, if they're confused and they don't know what they're doing, then they, uh, they need someone to, yeah. Well, they tend to go to, they might, they might go to someone for help, but really what they end up doing is they just stay where they are and that inertia yeah. of making, a, the fear of making a wrong decision, every you know, sort of keeps everybody thinking that they need to stay inside the system and they're mm. dependent on it. Mm. So we're really just trying to break that right from the outset. Yeah. Okay. So obviously it's one step to, uh, to go and create a, a business that, as you say, is quite different, certainly back 10 years ago and is really in, you know, in line with your beliefs and your values. But then it's quite another thing to say, okay, not only have I done this in my own little business, but I want to start you know, influencing you know, other advisors on a, on a larger scale to actually do the same thing. What's the motivation for, for doing that? Like, why wouldn't you just sit there and say, listen, I've got a good business, it's differentiated, I, you know, on that basis, I can keep growing it and growing it. You know, why then the need to kind of, um, you know, jump out and get a, get all a whole lot of other advisors on the same page? I think again, it comes back to I don't know. It's uh, some sort of genetic makeup uh, that I can't explain where it comes from. But I I've always hated, even when I worked, uh, probably all the way back to school, being told this is the way we're going to do it because this mm. is the way that it's always been done, and this is what's written down on the piece of paper. Um, I've always been a logic-driven person, um, and if there was a process that to me was just not logical, it didn't make any sense at all. Sorry, Steve, are you, are, I'm hearing a bit of background now. Are you outside now? or? No, no, I'm still in the car. Hopefully oh, okay. It's, is it, that, I'll just make sure I hold it right next to Yeah, that's better. Right next to my mouse. Yeah. Um, so I've always been someone that challenged the process if mm. the process was just driven to be you know here's the way we do it because it's the way it's always been done and I think from an advice point of view um, the financial services I mean for most people don't really care about this part but when you're in the system um, everybody that's a financial advisor has to be licensed as you know Ruben mm. uh, and even today 80% of the licenses in the country are driven uh, owned by four banks yeah and so those four banks being the all-singing, all-dancing overlords are the ones that basically set the process of how financial advisors in this country provide advice. Mm. And and every, over the course of 20 years of being in the industry, I got sick and tired of having conversations with really good advisors that were stuck in, that felt like they were stuck in a model with a process that didn't allow them to be able to provide the types of advice and, and and a process of advice that their clients and their customers wanted. Instead, it was what their licensee dictated to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... So you wanted to be like... A, me, yeah, sorry, go on. No, the catalyst for me then was, well, and I think initially I was trying to change the process from inside the system, i.e. when I worked back on the other side of the fence, uh, and even initially, we were licensed under one of the banks, effectively. Mm, yeah. Um, 
but when you're in the system, you can't change it. So for me, this really journey, this journey started three years ago when we got our own license. And I said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to lead from the front. We're actually going to finally get to the point where our model is 100% client-centered. We're going to prove that you can do it in a way where your clients are happy, your customers are happy, you're, you're ethical, you're moral, you're compliant. And guess what? You know, the sky hasn't fallen in. Mm. Uh, and it, it doesn't need to be done the way that the, um, the licensees have told you that it has to be done. Um, yeah. and, and that was the beginning of, I suppose, showing and, and helping, taking other advisors on the journey with me. Yeah. And I guess, um, I guess one of the things, and maybe I'm sure this is a criticism that you've sort of got, but, uh, you know, when someone comes out and sort of says, geez, the whole way everyone's been operating is rubbish, right? You know, it's, you know, everyone's been doing effectively the wrong thing. The structure's been wrong. Um, you know, it's not going to last, etc. I mean, that's something that people can find, I guess, a bit confronting and agitating. I mean, I, I just know, if, as an example, I mean, this is, you know, people will come out and say, listen, you know, the sole practitioner, the small financial planning business can't survive anymore. You know, it's going to be dead. You know, you hear that kind of crap all the time or, you know, because, and, and in some ways, you know, that's that's sort of the message that you're sending. Can you understand why people might sometimes say, listen, you know, this guy's, you know, predicting the end and doom and gloom for the way things have been done. Um, and they can be a bit cynical of that. Mate, it's, uh, it's almost a step above cynical as mm. well. Uh, some of those that have been, one of my mates, and I won't mention who he is because I don't want to drag him under the bus with me. <laughs> um, but he said, uh, the old and the bold, have um, been getting paid too much for too long mm. and off too many people. Um, and I think any system or any model where um, there are a lot of people that are getting a lot of financial reward and you are saying things that are bringing that model into risk that it won't exist anymore, mm. they are clearly not going to be very happy with what you do. So they'll start personally attacking um, they'll question your own, mm. uh, I suppose, your own methods and your own objectives and uh, the underlying rationale of why you're doing it. Uh, and they'll try and scare everybody into not not making any changes. Mm. And you're getting um, a lot of that? they want to keep it as a way. Oh, I, I think I'm probably getting uh, equal amounts. Uh, look, it depends how you define am I getting a lot of it. In the online mm. world, uh, I get a fair bit of... Uh, haters, yeah. or a fair few haters, writing fairly um, drivel incentives. Uh, sorry, drivel incentivized garbage. There's a, there's mm. a lot of stuff that they say that just doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. Um, but I think I also get equal parts, and if not more, in some instances, where younger advisors, in particular, and some of the older ones that I'm speaking to, yeah. will come up and say, I'm "I don't know really where you put. I don't know where you put me in, mate." Older, oh, mate, you're you're the same level as me. I'm, I'm right on the middle. road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not done yet. Uh, hopefully, the second part of the story is better than the first. Yeah, exactly. But um, they come up and they'll say, um, "I'm really glad that you are doing this. Keep mm. doing it because it's giving. I believe in what you're doing. I want to do it the way you're doing it. And because you're saying these things, um, it makes it. I think they grow a little bit taller and they get mm. a little bit more confidence that." 
if they want to do things slightly differently. Um, and here, again, when we're talking about slightly differently, all we're trying to do is put the client and the Australian, you know, the Australian population at the centre of the advice process, mm. which is where it bloody should have been all along. But you're saying that you don't... I mean, a lot of people come out there and say, look, you know, that's great, Steve. I mean, you've got a specific way of doing it, right? But we also put that client at the, at the centre as well. I mean, saying that we're putting the client at the centre or, you know, I know probably a lot of people say it and don't do it, um, but a lot of people probably do. And uh, if you're coming and saying, no, you're not, you're only putting the client front and centre if you do it my way, I mean, that's where I'm guessing maybe you could get a bit of pushback. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like, I think one of the things that I've learned through this whole journey and as I get a little bit older um, is, unfortunately, I tend to speak before I think mm. in some instances and that there's potential for collateral damage in some of the statements that I make in that there are some really good, genuinely honest ethical operators that are, you know, in inadvertently dragged into this because they operate under a structure that I've just publicly um, the shit you know, out of. shit cans. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they're sitting there going, well, hang on, Crawford, like, I'm not doing anything wrong. How come mm. I'm getting smacks like this? Like, why can't you just go after the individuals? Um, and I think the hardest thing if you are going to put yourself forward as a leader of a movement is that you have to understand and accept that Sometimes there'll be some good people that are operating in a not-so-good environment mm. trying to do the right thing that might get dragged into this as well. Uh, yeah. And you just sort of have to accept that uh, the only way we're going to change this thing is by the majority of us then starting to say the way it's happening now is not right. Mm. Um, and that means that everybody has to get brought into the conversation even if that means you are one of the good operators inside mm -hmm. a you know a bad model i heard yeah. an advisor the other day introduced himself ab some oh, my name's let's just call him bob smith from uh let's say it's one of the three letter financial planning uh bank owned mm -hmm. mobs which mm -hmm. doesn't really narrow it down because most of them only got three letters um and he introduced himself where he was from and his business and the next words out of his mouth were, um, you know, don't don't blame me for that. Mm. So he's already he's already distancing himself from his corporate overlords because I think the debate's moved to such a point now where, in the court of public opinion, I don't think the average Australian likes the um, the the confusion or the the. Um, the lack of clarity around is the person that I'm speaking to uh, working for me or working for the product provider at the, yeah. at the back end. But there's also a risk though, Steve, in what you're doing as well is, um, you know, as a financial planning community as a whole, you know, we should be promote, you know, or arguably you'd say professional responsibilities to promote the profession broadly to the community. Uh, whereas, you know, you're sort of taking the view and maybe, I know you largely sort of speak to the financial planning community, but I'm sure some of what you speak gets out of it as well. You're largely putting the face on that the, that the majority of the financial planning community is no good. That's a, Well, if I am doing that, it's, 
I apologise. That's not what I'm... <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, mate. I just want to have a good chat. I like this. I like, uh, <laughs> I like when it's uh, the suit's on the other foot. Um, no, no, my, my whole argument is the structure of the Australian financial planning uh, process is no good. Mm. The vast majority of the people being the financial planners and people that work in financial planning businesses, the vast majority, 95% of them, uh, 90 to 95% are good and they do the right thing all the time. Mm. But the problem is the structure and the system that they've been forced to operate within, either uh, probably from the people that have created it, again, being the big banks. Yeah. Um, the issue is that as, as good a job as they try to do, far too often the end destination for a client or a customer's money is that it ends up in one of the bank-owned or bank, uh, the bank's getting paid. In where that product lands. Yeah. Even if the advice is incredibly sound and exactly what the client's looking for, mm. someone is still, to use a bad analogy, someone is still clipping the ticket on the way through, and the client's being told that that is that's part of the process and that's in their best interest. As long as no one's really being, sorry, as long as no one is being financially hurt, mm. then we shouldn't be whinging about it. Whereas yeah. I'm saying, but if if someone walks into ABC Bank and they have an ABC bank super fund or an ABC bank insurance product, and they want advice around that product, and the person that's telling them that works for ABC says, here's how you do this with ABC, then that's absolutely acceptable because Mm, everybody knows what they're doing. But if somebody walks into XYZ business, that if you go three layers up the chain is owned by ABC Mm. bank, and the client's advice ends up being in, you know, G or D, E, F super fund, but the way that they know about that, um, sorry, the way, when they get the advice, it takes them, you know, they've got to have a doctorate to be able to read through the the dotted lines to find that D, F is actually owned by ABC Bank. That's my problem. Yeah, but the issue is, is though, at the end of the day, Steve, people still do need product, right? So, you know, I mean, I, I, I agree that a lot of the financial planning process shouldn't be about it, but they still need quality product at the end. So wherever it, you know, it ends up, you know, you're going to need to use something, you know, whether it's an industry fund or a bank-owned fund or, or an independent thing, you know, you, you are going to need to do something. So you can't completely divorce the product. And, and I don't know if you can completely always say, you know, because we live in a, in a world with so many choices, that there's actually just one path that makes sense. There are probably a number of them that that do. Um, so, you, you know, we can't... Comp- I, I know you're saying that product shouldn't be the focus, but we can't completely divorce ourselves from it at all. It is, it is a part of it. Absolutely, and it needs to stay a part of it. Um, and that's why we still have a financial planning business. Mm. I mean, uh, as it gets harder and harder to operate from a compliant point of view and the costs go through the roof because basically, you know, everybody gets treated like they're the lowest common denominator now, um, which means it's more expensive. And theoretically, we'd be so much better off as a business if if all we did was help clients. Uh, We coach them around their money instead of providing advice. But the way things work in Australia is you have to, Mm. you know, eventually your money's going to end up in the super system. And and if you can't help them, you know, then someone else 
will be, and therefore we wouldn't be helping. We really wouldn't be helping our clients if yeah. we got out of the game. Yeah, so that's where you have to go. Okay, so look, I want to move on um, a bit to just talking about change. Um, do you believe that sort of change or evolution happens slowly, or or does it happen all at once? And and I do. Are you witnessing at the moment in our industry that it is happening all at once? Uh, I think if left to its own natural devices, change will take uh, a very long time mm. for it to play through. And I think the financial services industry en masse is probably one of the best demonstrations of um, one of the slowest possible change uh, models mm. out of any industry in Australia. Mm. I mean, there's still yeah. financial advisors that use paper applications yeah. uh, and I think if you, if you went through the uh, if you went through the financial advice industry 50% of us have probably still got facsimiles uh, mm. even though most of the most of the other people that are operating in other industries would go what the hell's a fax yeah I think I'm um, still paying 10 bucks a month for a fax number <laughs> <laughs> haven't had one yet. Um, but but sorry, just just on that, right? So you're saying slow changing industry. So maybe I don't know. You compare that to something like I don't know, travel agency or buying things online. But mm-hmm. but but you know, it depends whether you call it an industry or profession, right? Because other professions, you know, haven't necessarily changed that much. Would you say that accountants or lawyers or dentists have have changed that much? Uh, I think in circles they've changed actually a lot faster so i Mm. think accounting i used to laugh at accountants for you know how um antiquated their models were Mm. and if you look at if you have a a disruptor like you know zero came into the accounting industry and massively disrupted the way small accounting practices which was the vast majority of the operators Mm. um massively changed the game by moving it away from desktop software to cloud-based and putting the client and the customer at the center of it. And it was all about, you know, really trying to become the apple of the um, of the accounting process. And everybody knows that that anything to do with accounting, it's not the most fun, enjoyable experience you've ever had. So having an idea of making something enjoyable was clearly ludicrous, but mm. they've managed to get it to a point where it's not the most punishing thing you've ever done. No. And now it's gotten to the stage where accountants, I think, have outstripped financial advice businesses mm. in terms of um, in terms of their evolution. So but is that just in terms of adoption of technology or in terms of how they're serving their clients differently? Um, I think probably more at this stage about adoption of technology as mm. opposed to what your underlying service model looks mm. like. But it's one of the drivers of change. So I think if you look at, you know, what's going to what's going to expedite the evolutionary process or the change process, one mm is um, a big disruptor coming in and actually, you know, throwing everything out, all the rules out and going, um, the emperor has no clothes, here's how you can actually do it, and making that whole thing really, really easy. Like we're going to do it for like 10% of the cost or something. Yeah. (laughs) Or we're going to do it for zero. Or no no cost or... Mm where you used that to do something that was an extremely punishing exercise is now super easy, one click of a button, that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, what most financial advisors and the finance industry, um, uh, in terms of our evolution, the thing that's changing us and making us actually move uh, is the legislative environment. Yeah. So, you know, the, uh, the average, and I do a, a bit of coaching with US advisors and I've worked with, um, with UK advisors as mm. well. And mm. the Australian financial planning uh, market and the, 
the quality of the average Australian financial advisor in terms of, um, I define quality as how close are you to a client-centred, goals-based, non-product-driven financial advice process, what Mm. it should be. Mm. There's more Aussies in that market and in that space than uh, than there are, you know, US advisors in the US market, mm. um, and that's purely because I think we've been forced to evolve so much faster than everybody else because the way we got paid was outlawed. <laughs> right. So it was legislative change that you think is has driven a lot of it, and, and you know we're likely to get to get sort of more legislative change. But just go back to the thing you said before in terms of disruptor. Um, so you haven't seen a big disruptor come into the financial, successfully come into the financial advice world and where, I don't know, what's an example, oh, you've said zero. Um, but yeah, do you don't you don't think that that's been successful so far? Not yet here. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've seen, they've changed their name and I'll, I'll get this wrong, but it was Acorn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Raise, sort of they're called now. Round, what are they called now? Raise, R-A-I-Z. Raise. Yeah. Right. So those those guys came in, and when they launched out of the US and then into Australia, Australia was actually the the number one market that they. Sorry, we just they, we just should uh, tell the listeners what that. Sorry, Steve. We just tell the um, what that is. So it's basically an ability to invest very very small amounts of money for very low cost uh, into sort of you know share based investments, and you can actually the beauty of it is you can go and you know buy something on your credit card, and it rounds up to the nearest dollar. And invest that for you, and that's something that you know investing in such small amounts for low cost has not really been done before. Correct, and that was uh, outside of the U.S. Australia was the first market that they went to, right? And we had, I think, the day that they launched, there was something like two hundred and fifty thousand customers really? already yeah. waiting yeah. to use it. So I think um, Aussies are set up to take advantage of a disruptor when it does come in. Mm. Um, I don't think, because of our four pillars policy and because uh, the licences for all financial advice, surprise, surprise, going back to my our earlier rant or my earlier rant, you know, 90% of that's controlled by the bank. Mm. Surprise, surprise, there hasn't been a lot of disruption because it's been so hard to crack into the market. But when they come, I think it's uh, it'll be the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Apples, the Netflix, the Googles, mm. um, in particular, um, the Amazons and the Googles will be the ones that really change things yeah. because they're targeting the next couple of generations down, being Gen X, Gen Y, and even Gen Z. Mm. And they're starting um, where around purchasing and spending, and they're then trying to introduce finance uh, and financial decision. Uh, at that really early stage. So they're basically trying to build a damn wall mm. uh, between, you know, where the average Aussie gets involved in their financial world, which at the moment's, you know, closer to 50. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to insert themselves into that uh, into that universe when, oh, yeah. you know, people are in their mm. 20s and, and early 30s. And, yeah. and that hasn't fully played out yet. But yeah. if, if anyone's worrying, wondering where it's going to come from, that's where I think it'll come from. I mean, it's interesting also with change as well because, I mean, the kind of person you are is, I th- you know, it seems like you anticipate change before an act, even, you know, before it's happened um, for whatever, I mean, 
you know, you're probably not doing it just purely for change sake, but that's how you do it. And then, and then there are others though that can get caught up in the new shiny thing. So they're constantly looking for a solution and can kind of change quickly and can be punching at shadows. Um, and then there are those that, you know, will literally just say, nah, I'm sitting on my hands. I'm not doing anything. I'm going to wait to see what happens and then, and then let it play out. I mean, do you think there's a balance that, that, you know, people should, should be at between those sort of two extremes? Um, I think where you've got to be, well, personally, my view is try and sit one step uh, outside of your comfort zone, mm. closer towards that, that change end of the spectrum. Because mm. what look, change is constant, we know that. Everybody knows that. Um, the things we don't know is what it's going to look like, how fast it's going to evolve over, and, um, and what's really going to be the catalyst or the trigger. Um, I mean, you can go back to so many different business case studies of, you know, Kodak were killing yeah. it, and then all of a sudden, bang, it's Nokia. gone. Um, the taxi industry, yeah, uh, sitting there before, uh, sorry, before Uber came in, you know, uh, Apple was even sitting there with iTunes, mm. and then Spotify comes in, and you know, so all of, and no one predicts this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think the one thing you've you've just got to accept is it is going to happen. Chances are it will happen sooner than I think it will happen um, and I need and I don't know necessarily where it's going to come from but what I've probably got to do is, uh, is anticipate it to a degree mm. and maybe not necessarily evolve before you need to evolve but be prepared and at least be you know on the balls of your feet ready to start moving rather than being caught flat-footed and going oh shit I never even thought that this yeah. scenario was possibly going to happen yeah. and then smack bang in the middle of a hyper change environment having to uh, to work out how to actually yeah. evolve and still survive at the same time yeah okay Steve well, look, I, I want to move on uh, talk about the advice movement so just tell me exactly what the advice movement uh, is at the moment is there you know how many members or are there members is it just a Facebook group what's what does it look like at the moment the advice movement such a good question, mate, because um, at the moment is probably the best way to force me to think about this because it, <laughs> it, hasn't evolved. it hasn't evolved into what I want it to evolve into. So I'll tell you what it is right now. Yeah. Uh, Steve? Crew of, Sorry, I, I missed that uh, last. Sorry, just start that sentence again. Sorry. Uh, so what it is at the moment is a motley crew of myself and uh, a bunch of other financial advisors and a couple of business coaches mm -hmm. that are uh, doing their best to teach financial advisors, current and aspiring ones, um, how to build what we're calling a 21st century advice model, Yeah, um, which is really about bringing uh, the advice that you want to provide to your clients in a different way, outside of what your licensee says, here's how you go about providing financial advice. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, we're effectively teaching. So it's it's you know it's the best. It's one of the best things in the industry is that we do have a lot of uh, a lot of ourselves that uh, we give to others free and willing. I mean, obviously, you and I are good examples of that. Mm. Um, and everybody wants to learn from their peers. So what we've basically created is an environment that uh, enables other financial advisors that want to give back and coach, other current and aspiring advisors, and a couple of business consultants as well. Yeah, um, yeah. To be able to teach 
uh, other advisors how to do some some different elements of what we'd call a 21st century. And how how what what form are you using to teach that? Is it online? Is it I don't know. What's the the process for for doing that? Yeah. So the default model is going to be online, self paced uh, yeah. courses. Yeah. But we're then also providing uh, virtual coaching calls. So using things like Zoom um, to to run virtual coaching meetings, mm. and then we're also stupidly or otherwise, I'm running a two day uh, live event in St Kilda in February, where we're going to sort of basically uh, get us and you know about 100 or 150 other uh, advisors and aspiring advisors into a, a theatre in St Kilda and we're going to help them start to build uh, what their new what their new model looks just, like by challenging the status quo and then breaking it up and just pump them full of caffeine and jelly beans as well uh, <laughs> there will be a caffeine car uh, that's absolutely going to happen. I'm not quite sure where there's going to be jelly beans because yeah. I don't really want to deal with them when they're coming off a sugar rush. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I mean, what we are going to do is um, take them out of their natural environment um, and, and again, trying to do something different. You know, this whole financial advice conferences in Australia have pretty much followed the exact same model for the mm. last 20 years. Mm. You've got a motivational, inspirational, rah-rah yeah. speaker. You've got a couple of technical sessions, mm. a couple of panels or what my lovely wife, Melissa, would call manals because God help them if they actually <laughs> put a female on the stage. Oh, it's getting better, um, mate. And, uh, it is getting better, mm. but uh, FPA Congress was pretty good this mm. time around. Mm. But it was, they're all the same, right? And it's all, you know, if you take one thing away, and but no one ever does take one thing away and no one ever does start building stuff mm. we get back to the office and then we're stuck back in business as usual and all the stuff we haven't done for the week before. So we're going to try and change that by forcing them to start building things um, actually at the event mm. and then we're going to provide more you know, peer group sessions and half-day virtual conferences and, and just try some different stuff after yeah. to try and, again, help them keep moving forward. Yeah. So, 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 so the purpose of it is that X, Y is a teaching thing, and obviously there's a Facebook group as well. Is that um, what? What are you? I don't know. What's what's the purpose of that group? Is it just people getting on and having a rant about you know all the crap that's going on, or what's you know? No, what, I mean the purpose of that? the Facebook group is really yeah. The purpose of the Facebook group is really just to provide a forum for them to ask questions around mm. the model itself and what other people are doing. Um, and look, we're definitely not the first, and or nor are we the biggest uh, progressive group. There is, as you said, there's the um, the XY Advisor Group, yeah. and, and then in the US, there's another mob called XY Planning Network. Yeah, yeah. There's too many X's and Y's, and that's why yeah. we changed our name to the Advice Movement yeah. for lack of to remove any uh, confusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really, what we're trying to do is just say. Most financial advisors, the only way they used to learn and share knowledge was inside their, their dealer group or their licensee where mm. they were licensed. Mm. And we talked about that, who controls that, or in uh, under the big industry groups. Yeah. Now, the, we, we've sort of taken a strategic and, a, and an evolutionary bet that the licensees will start to break up mm. and the industry groups will start to play less of a role around uh, you know how these financial planning practices run their business, and more of a role around uh, from a uh, professional standards point mm. of view mm. is how you're going to do things. Which means it'll leave a gap. Yeah. Uh, and so what we want to do is provide a, a market or a community or an opportunity for uh, 
advisors who still want to hang out in groups to learn from each other, mm. um, to be able to do that, you know, I suppose, under our sort of semi-structured uh, environment that we're going to create for them. And, and is the XY, is it, a, is it a business model? Like, is it a, you know, are you trying to, are you, will you be generating revenue and profit out of it or is it really just meant to be a, um, I don't know, like a not-for-profit no, no, definitely there is a commercial end game, um, yeah. but we are trying to do that slightly differently as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got, so we generate revenue from the online courses yeah. that our coaches uh, sell, uh, and we are looking at introducing a, and I'm going early on this one, I haven't even put this one out into the, <laughs> the other AC yet, but yeah. at some stage in early 2019, we'll look to roll out our actual paid, we're still going to have a free membership model, but yeah. uh, a paid membership, really low entry, yeah, um, almost like the Spotify or the Netflix of uh, of a financial community. Yeah, and and as you say, you can probably do that too, but if you're doing that kind of one-to-many type coaching, I mean, you're able to do that on a, um, you know, maybe on a lower cost basis if, you get, if you're reaching more people. Yeah, and again, I think this is part of um, the evolutionary psyche of financial advice. I mean, we do the vast majority of our meetings with our clients using Zoom, the, yeah. the virtual meeting software. Yeah. Um, and, you know, probably 70 to 80% of our meetings are done that way. And it's got capability. You can have 100 people sitting in a, in a room in a webinar all over the world and sharing ideas. Like, you don't just need to do that stuff one-to-one anymore and you don't need to be staring at someone else's eyeballs physically to be able to do it either. That's so right. So it's just... It's, it's giving them a forum that they want to operate under, but then trying to... It's, I sort of say it's like uh, analog and digital. Like, I love a lot of the old school stuff of, of the networking and the peer group and all that stuff. Mm. But if the only way I can get access to it is by physically turning up to a peer group on a certain day in a certain location, um, and I've got... You know, we've got three boys. That that might not work on that day. Yeah, so yeah. Why should I have to miss out on that? Whereas I can go either to a virtual session um, or I can go to a recorded ver- version of it and yeah. still you know, feel like I've been a part of it. All right, Steve. Well, we're sort of coming towards the end. Uh, hopefully this has been useful for listeners. I think you know, we're going through such a period of change in our industry and I think uh, you know, it's something that people should be able to uh, relate to, whether it's change in their personal life, in their business or in their profession. Um, so I want you to uh, more generally just give us your top three tips and it's the top three tips uh, maybe when you're trying to drive change uh, in your business uh, or profession or even personal life. Uh, I'm glad you asked me this one beforehand as well because <laughs> off the cuff it could have been I could have said anything and got myself in more trouble than I already am in. <laughs> um, so I think the first plus it does help to think this stuff through. Number one, you've got to understand who are you actually trying to drive change for? You know, is it for yourself individually? Is it on behalf of an industry? Is it on behalf of the end customer or end consumer? Because mm-hmm. that that is where your your center has to be mm. and where you've got to come from. Um, now, obviously, at the moment, the financial services industry is going through an enormous amount of change and you've got a lot of different uh, interest groups that are obviously trying to drive the change to an outcome that benefits them more than the other interest group. So you've got to understand who are you actually trying to drive change for first. Yep. The second thing is then... Um, where are you trying to get to and what's a reasonable time frame mm. to be able to get there? 
because change does take an enormous amount of time sometimes. Um, and if you try and rush it, you might end up finding out that maybe this is where the Crawfords are at the moment or just this Crawford, that you're the only lunatic dancing on the hill because yeah. everyone else is sitting way back there going, mate, you've gone way too early on this one. <laughs> um, so know, where, know when, know where and how long it's going to take to get to that end change outcome. And the third one, and this is something that I've probably struggled with a lot, um, but getting more and more accepting of it, not everybody is going to be a massive fan of yours for what you're actually doing. Mm. Um, there are going to be some people that benefit a hell of a lot more from the model and the environment staying exactly as it is than moving into the new world or the new evolution. Um, and they may be quite animated in sharing their disapproval of what it is that you're going to do. But ultimately, the people that you are trying to drive the change for um, there will be enough love coming from them that hopefully counters the uh, the lack of love or or and maybe a little bit of hate and keeps you going, others. gets you up in the morning or going, or gets you out of the fetal position. <laughs> That's we- right. I mean, you, you're rocking side to side, and then eventually <laughs> you just got to stand up. All right, Steve. Look, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show. It's been great. A good discussion. I've always I've definitely learnt more as well. Even though I thought I knew quite a bit about what you did but um it's been great to have you and um we'll catch up uh, again soon no worries thanks so much for having me on the show Ruben. okay steve we'll put all your contact details in the show notes and links to uh i don't know everything that you do okay. great thanks okay ciao Bye. okay folks well that's uh basically it for today hopefully you enjoyed that discussion Uh, We will be here again next week. Until then, feel free to search iTunes, leave us a rate and review. Uh, Otherwise, have a great week. JR 87.8 FM כאן דפנה, ורונן, peace of mind, כל ראשון בין 10 ל-11 בבוקר וגם רביעי בין 8 ל-9 בבוקר. פוליטיקה, מדע, חברה וכלכלה. תרבות, מוזיקה מדליקה וסיפורים מעניינים מכל העולם. Stay tuned. Howdy folks, if you fancy some fun and frivolity and a little bit of frippery, join me, Gary Mellon, and him, Nathan Mond, on 10K Radius. Every Friday morning at 10 o'clock. It's fabulous. For crying out loud, there were too many F's.